Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Well, before we jump in, we, uh, as we were talking and preparing this message this week, there was one video that we found that we just love. It's been around for a minute. Maybe you've seen it. But it sets up our, uh, our message today on marriage so well. So check out this video real quick. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't things my way. Do I have to keep I mean, come on. Ow. We've all been there, right? One way or the other. And uh, I don't know, we threw around some, some different titles for today. Maybe one, if you're taking notes, could be, it's not about the nail. Come on, somebody. Um, but here's, here's what we want to say right off the top. First off, first and foremost, um, we don't have marriage figured out. We'll just go ahead and throw that out there, okay? Not that that should be a surprise to anyone. Uh, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. And friends, as I prayed earlier, if you're single, if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're remarried, no matter what stage you're in right here and today, our prayer for you is that God would help you find fresh tools for your toolbox to help your marriage thrive and a fresh start for your marriage. Because our marriage has been through different seasons. We've been through the ups and downs, and we're coming up on 14 years this November, which I'm fired up about, but it has it's been a journey. And the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that we have realized on this journey is, gosh, ownership, personal ownership and responsibility is so important for a healthy marriage. Uh, my wife will be the first one to admit this, and I'll just give it a hearty amen because I know it's true. Um, you can't fix the other person, no matter how hard you try. You can't even change the other person, no matter how hard you try. You can't remove the nail from the forehead, no matter how hard you try. And 
It's Let's not just about say the nail. we've tried. Yeah, we've for tried. For 14 years, we've gone back and forth. You've we have tried, tried so hard to fix each other, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's, it is a move of the Holy Spirit, friends that transforms us from the inside out. And our prayer today is that you would not come in here this morning and take this message home to your spouse if your spouse is not here and say, this is for you. You know, this message today is for you. This message specifically is for you. It's not for them. It's for me. It's for him. It's for all of us in this room. But it is not so that we can go fix somebody else. It's so that the Holy Spirit can do some work in our own lives and transform us from the inside out. And he's going to do that as we dive into his word this morning and as we entrust ourselves to him. So we're so excited about that this morning. That's exactly right. And, you know, we, we titled this series, First Comes Love, Then Comes Blank. And the reason we did that, it's a play on words from a song that you might have PTSD from growing up, you know, the first time you sat too close to, uh, you know, Sally or Joe at the, uh, at the lunch table when you were in kindergarten and your friends immediately began singing, you know, Sally and Joe sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S. Yeah, we sang it last week, so you remember. You know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in the baby carriage, right? And as I thought about that song, and as we dove into this idea of marriage, I thought, really, you know, the song is wrong. It's just wrong, okay? I know it's a classic. I know it's been around for a long time. But what it's really saying and what's really true is this. First comes the feeling of love the feeling of romance, the feeling of the butterflies, the dating, the honeymoon season, the engagement, all the parts that we love about the pursuit of somebody when we're you know, determining, is this somebody I can spend the rest of my life with? Um, and yes, there is an aspect of love that engages your feelings and your emotions. But friends, love according to the Bible Love according to scripture. And we looked at four different types of love last week as we looked at singleness and dating. But love according to the scripture, true love is about commitment, covenant, sacrifice, choosing to lay your life down despite what you may be feeling about that person. <laughs> despite whether or not you've still got butterflies after 15, 20 years of marriage, right? There is this reality of sacrificial love that the Bible elevates. It's called agape love. And we're going to share a few verses that are going to be our guides this morning. We're going to hit on some different scriptures. But the first one is this, because in the letter of 1 John, it just describes it so well. It says it like this, 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is. Here's how we define love. Because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's the definition of love, laying down your life, giving up your life for another person. And then the other scripture we're gonna be looking at this morning is Ephesians 5, 24 through 26, and it says this, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. And really that's a picture of mutual submission. It's not just wives submit to husbands. It's 
Hey, in the context of husbands, lay down your life for your wives. Serve her, love her, understand what it is that she needs in order to flourish in her life. And marriage becomes this dance, not of, and we're going to hit on this a lot, but not of just getting your needs met and, and figuring out, man, is this person really going to be the one that makes me happy the rest of my life and, you know, fulfills all my wants, dreams, hopes, and desires? Really, the, the paradigm shift has to become not what can they do for me, but how am I called to lay down my life and serve this person? And here's the crazy thing that happens, okay? God, it's like God knew this would happen. As you begin to do that, you know what happens? Suddenly, your needs are getting met on a whole nother level. It starts with sacrifice, with laying down your own life, and then suddenly, the, the mutuality of the relationship grows. And God uses marriage throughout the Bible as a metaphor, as an analogy for our relationship with him. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the two becoming one. And then at the very end, Revelation 19 to 22, it talks about the wedding feast at the end of the age when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so the Bible is bookended with marriage. And Paul talks about how, gosh, our marriage... It's not just about you and I. It's not just about our kids. It's not just about how do I feel about you today or am I driving you crazy this week? You know, what's going on? It's about something so much bigger than us, a story that God is writing with the whole world, a story of redemption, a story of sacrificial love that's found in Jesus Christ. And our marriage is actually supposed to be a model of that. And so the question that we want to dive into today is one that, friends, if you're single, you're not married yet, I promise you're going to experience this. If you're married, you've been married for a little while, you know what we're talking about. But what do you do when you've lost that love and feeling? What do we do when we've lost that love and feeling? How do we respond when the initial honeymoon phases of love, when they begin to fade, and all marriage goes through this transition of just the, the rush of the feelings and the early stages of romance, and it transitions over time into the reality of life. And it shifts for all of us from butterflies uh, and just romantic feelings, and not to say that romance never returns again. It does. It ebbs and flows throughout a marriage, throughout a lifetime. But it is often replaced with things like children, uh, it's replaced with things like bills and stress and responsibilities and conflict. And often, you know, these things can completely, they will completely change the nature of your marriage. And there are issues that are going to arise within the marriage around all of those things, like cracks in the foundation. And if we don't fix them, if we just pretend like we can live with them, eventually, uh, you know, that dysfunction can bring the whole house down. That's right. And, you know, it's so funny. This reminds me of a story in our own lives, something we've been through personally. And um, it's kind of a silly illustration, but we think it's very good for this talk today. Um, a couple years ago, we moved into our house and it was one of my biggest dreams to repaint our kitchen. I just wanted to be able to 
repaint the cabinets and, and put the hardware on that we liked. And so we um, hired these painters. They came in, they painted the whole kitchen for us and redid the hardware, but they left these two drawers um, kind of unhinged at the end of their time at our house. And, um, you know, it was really funny because we saw those drawers unhinged for a couple days. And I looked at Jonathan and I was like, hey, babe, you know, I think we need to fix these. They're, they're kind of coming off the hinges. They, they look like they're going to fall in the floor. And he was like, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it. And, and Jonathan, he's, he's great at many things. My husband's amazing. Um, but he's not the handiest man in the world. Like, he's a great preacher. He loves to pray a lot. He's like praying over the drawers, like, Lord, fix them in Jesus' name. Um, and I'm just praying, Lord, like, send us a screwdriver and a handyman and like, get this thing fixed, you know? But, you know, eventually it was really funny because a couple weeks went by, then a couple months went by, and we just kind of learned to live with it. Like, we just like tolerated the drawers. We realized like, if we only pull them out so far, like they won't come off the hinges and they won't crash into the floor. Um, and that all worked really great for a while, but then, you start inviting people over to your house, right, for dinner. And they come to your home and they want to come help. You know, usually the women, we like to congregate in the kitchen and that's where you end up having your appetizers. And so we're sitting in the kitchen and someone asks, you know, oh, where can I grab this? And I'm like, oh, just right over in that drawer, just forgetting that that is our dysfunctional drawer in the kitchen. And they go to open the drawer and it just like slams on the floor. And I'm like, why did you do that? Like, come on guys, you're breaking my kitchen. You know, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I was like, I'm so sorry. We've been meaning to fix it. We've been meaning to fix that one. We haven't gotten around to it. And so oftentimes we live with this dysfunction that is there in our faces for months on end. But the real kicker was oh, yeah. when my dad came to visit because you father-in-laws in the room, you know what it means to have a son-in-law who can yeah. fix things. Yeah, who can't fix things. Who can't and fix so, things. Um, yeah, you know, there, there are different levels of humiliation in life, but one of the worst is, you know, for a son-in-law, you know, not to have things really put together for the father-in-law when they come to visit. And after we had moved into our home, um, you know, they came out for Thanksgiving and we, you know, like everybody's like, oh, we want to get the house fixed up, looking nice for them, all that kind of stuff. They come out for that first Thanksgiving, and of course, you know, we're all in the kitchen at some point, and Paul, I love him to death, Lindsay's dad, he, you know, he comes across the drawer, he opens it up, and, you know, he just, he just passes that threshold, and the thing just, you know, pow, on the floor. He's like, oh, John, you know, uh, your drawer is broken. And I was like, I know, I know. It's just, you know, it's just been a few weeks. They just painted the cabinets in here and they didn't put them back in right. I'm, I'm, I'm meaning to fix it, just haven't gotten around to it. Now, that's all and well when you've just moved in, but then, you know, the next Thanksgiving came around. <laughs> and they came out for Thanksgiving again, which we were so excited about. We're getting the house all, you know, picked up, cleaned up, guest room ready to go. And, you know, we're excited to see him. We get home from the airport. And it wasn't until Paul started walking toward the kitchen again that I even remembered, oh, I haven't fixed the dang drawers. And of course, you know, he's looking for something over there and he pulls that same drawer and crashes to the ground. He's like, hey, John, you know, your drawer's still broken. And you can't be like, yeah, I was just painted a week ago. Sorry, I haven't got around to it. It's like, yeah, I know. It's been a year, and I have done nothing about that drawer, right? 
And then the worst thing was like 20 minutes later, he disappears. And I was like, man, where'd your dad go? She's like, I have no idea. And I call him and I'm like, Paul, where are you? He's like, I'm on the way to Home Depot. I'm going to buy you hinges for your drawer. I'm going to fix it. And he came back, fixed it in like 20 minutes. And now our drawers work, praise God. And uh, I've Amen. lost my man card with my father-in-law. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, you yeah, know, it's so. just so funny because, um, again, we just thought this was such a great metaphor for marriage because so oftentimes, friends, we have drawers in our marriages, dysfunction in our marriages. We have broken hinges in our marriages um, and we tolerate issues. We work around them. So often we ignore them. We know exactly how far to push them without pushing just too far. And, um, you know, to be truly honest, this morning when we're here, we just want to say, friends, love takes intentionality. Love takes a lot of effort. I know sometimes on the movie screens, it looks like it just comes easy, but real love, true love, um, a a self-sacrificial love, it takes effort, it takes intentionality. And sometimes we get so comfortable with our dysfunction and our brokenness because it's all we've really ever known. I mean, so many of us have come from dysfunctional homes or broken homes. I'd say every single one of us have come from dysfunctional homes or broken homes. Like we never have seen a perfect marriage in our life. And so we don't always know um, how to fix that drawer. We don't always know what to do. We don't know what supplies to grab for. Um, And it's really interesting because one of the other things that we were thinking about just to make this practical for y'all is just this application of communication and communication, how it's so important for us to be able to communicate our expectations, our needs to one another, and how that is such a foundation for us to have healthy marriages, to be able to fix the broken drawers or the broken hinges um, and the dysfunction in our marriages. And one of the ways that Jonathan and I have laughed not laughed, but kind of fought over the years, um, has been around um, our calendars. Like we just are awful at scheduling things. Like we are great at scheduling things on our own, but we're awful at communicating what we schedule to one another. And so we have a lot going on in our lives. We have two kids and three different sports and two schools, and we've got our jobs here and responsibilities at home with our friendships. You name it, all of our lives are busy and full. And we would just take our Google Calendar and we would just fill it up. He would fill it up with his responsibilities. I'd fill it up with my responsibilities. And we wouldn't even talk about it. And everything would just kind of like heighten throughout the week. Like we'd have these expectations for one another. It's like Wednesday or Thursday, you could just feel the tension. The the tension rising, yes. And I mean, I'm sure you guys think I probably never get mad, but I mean, I have a temper. And it's like righteous anger, okay? Like I'm not. She's so sweet up here, but you have no idea. I will neither admit or deny that. Um, but yes, I would get so righteously angry about the fact that I needed help with something and that only he could help me with it, but I didn't communicate that need or that expectation beforehand. And so we would get into the middle of the week and all things would blow up. And then the next week would come across and by Wednesday, all things would blow up. And it was just a cycle that we were living in. It was this chaos that we were living in. And we had just gotten used to it. That was like our normal routine until one day we looked at each other and we just said, 
we have to fix this. We actually have to put in some effort, some time. You know, this is affecting our children. They're watching us fight on a Wednesday night uh, after we get home from Bible studies, you know, like how that goes. I mean, it's just awful. And so ruining our testimonies with our children. And um, so finally, we just set aside Sunday nights. Okay, Sunday nights, we're gonna sit down after dinner, after we get the kids to bed, we're gonna go through our schedules. We're gonna communicate what we need. And um, it really was a game changer for us. Um, it not only fixed the problem, but it got us back on the same team. Instead of fighting with one another, we were working together and it brought unity and stability to our marriage, to our weekly schedule. We learned how to better communicate um, what we needed from one another. And it was just a game changer for us. Yeah. And that's just a simple illustration, something that you know, practically we could do on th in 30 minutes on a Sunday evening just to sync up for the week and remove a ton of conflict in our relationship throughout the week. But I understand, we understand, you know, that's, that's like fixing a drawer. Maybe it takes 20 minutes, you know, you got to go get the hardware from Home Depot. You got to sit down, be intentional and just make the time for it and do it. And wow, now it's not creating a mess every single Wednesday night when it falls on the floor and stuff goes everywhere. But we also realize there are some, some things that you're facing, right, in your marriages that we have gone through in our marriage that aren't as easy as a drawer to fix. It's like replacing an appliance. It's an electrical issue, a plumbing issue. There's something deeper going on where you need to call in a professional because you can't fix it. You need some outside help to work through this and walk through this. And we've shared this many times, but... Uh, professional counseling has been such a lifeline for us, like such a lifeline for us in our journey um, of marriage, parenting, leadership, all those sort of things. We needed to call in somebody that knew how to help us navigate through some of these seasons because life's hard. Marriage is hard. There are moments when you're not trying to just fix a drawer. Man, the whole fridge is out, right? And you got to deal with that. And so, you know, all these different areas, when you think about relationships, finances, emotional health, emotional connection, physical intimacy, parenting, communication styles, faith and spirituality, family of origin issues, addictions, conflict resolution, all of these things, if you think of your marriage like a kitchen, they are different areas that at some point or another, you're going to have to work at. And you're gonna have to work on, you're gonna have to talk about it. And sure, you can live with the dysfunction for a while, but eventually it's gonna have massive effects on the rest of your life. And we wanna say, man, God's word, God's design, his intention for your marriage is not to ignore it or to live with the dysfunction, but to address it. And God's grace not only covers you and says, look, in this process of working through the mess of your marriage and all the rough edges of what it means for the two to become one flesh, you're, you're, the grace of God covers you through it all, but it also empowers you to go and find help, to fix it, to do the work that you need to do to have a healthy, thriving marriage. Yeah, and I think so often the dysfunction that we have in our marriages or that we tolerate in our marriages is really fueled by our culture. Because if you look at our culture, the culture says one thing about love and then the Bible says another thing. The culture says that love is God. Love is God. It's based on a feeling, but the Bible says that God is love. 
And those two things sound very similar. Love is God, God is love. But if you change those around, you get it wrong, friends. It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on someone completing you. The world would say that you need to look for somebody to complete you, to make you whole. And once you find that person, you're gonna find everything that you've ever longed for. But the scripture makes it clear in 1 John 4, 7 through 8 that God defines love because God created love. It says, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. And it's really amazing because the scripture also says in 1 John 3, 16, as we said before, it says that we know that real love, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his love for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love is sacrificial. It's not based off of feeling. It's not based off of what you can get from someone. It's about what you are doing to lay down your life and submit to another person, to look out for their benefit, to look out for their well-being, to look out for their healing and their wholeness. I love Ephesians 5, 24. Again, it says, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. And I think so oftentimes we get this verse turned around because if you look at the beginning of Ephesians 5, it says to submit to one another out of love. And in this verse, so many people would say, oh, wives, submit to your husbands. But really, it's the husbands that are going first. They're being Christ to their bride. They're being Christ to the church. They are laying down their lives first. And then the bride is responding, right, into submission to the husband out of his love for her. There's this beautiful picture of mutual submission and mutual sacrifice that the Bible gives us that the culture, quite honestly, never talks about. The culture never talks about this, but the Bible is so clear. Love is a sacrificial thing. It's something that you do for someone else. It's not what you can get from them. Yeah, it's so true, so good. Something that we've learned the hard way through the different seasons of our marriage. And friends, I said it before, I wanna say it again. Marriages go through seasons. They go through seasons and there are springtime seasons, there are summer seasons where it's hot, where that thing's on fire and it's going great. And then there are winter seasons where all the flowers are covered in two feet of snow and it's like, this thing is just icy cold, it's not working right now, right? There are different seasons in life and in marriage and what the culture has tried to do to all of us is to set up this unrealistic expectation and a shallow view of love a shallow view of love that says love is just based on a feeling. How does this person make me feel? Do they meet my needs? And your personal needs and feelings are important. Within the context of a marriage, you, you should experience happiness and joy and deep satisfaction in marriage, but it's not always gonna be like that 24-7. There may be seasons and stretches of time where you're like, where'd that go? Come back, happiness and joy. And there's some things that you gotta work on, some broken drawers that you gotta lean into and fix because if your marriage is based on the foundation of just getting 
your needs met and on just feeling the way you want to feel about that person or about your relationship, friends, it won't last because feelings come and go. I will say this, within the context of a covenant committed relationship, I think that's the healthiest soil for the deepest, strongest feelings of love to grow in the long run. I know so many people who've been married 30, 40, 50 years who say, man, I, I love her more now. I love him more now than I ever have. I didn't even really know what love was until year 20 or whatever it is, right? There is this reality of the deep, true, lasting joy and happiness that only comes within the context of that committed relationship. And I want to say this, <laughs> there will be a moment in your marriage, in your relationship. I remember for us, right, there, there was a season for me when I couldn't imagine being happy or finding joy in life unless I was with her, unless, man, I was married to Lindsay. She was the source, she was the object. I had to be in relationship and be married to her, right? And eventually, there comes a moment <laughs> She would say the same for me, bottom line, where the one person you thought would be the ultimate source of your happiness and joy and fulfillment in life has now become the source of your anger, frustration, and they drive you nuts. It just happens. It's going to happen. And so if your relationship is built on just what they can do for you, it ain't going to last, friends. It won't last. There will be a moment where that Falls apart. Go ahead. Yeah. I love you so much. I just want to say that right now. I love now. you too, sweetheart. Deep love, <laughs> abiding love. But there was something else I found so fascinating because um, there is tons of research coming out right now on this, this molecule in the brain. And I've, I've read a couple books on this. It's really fascinating how scientists, doctors, researchers are making this connection between uh, this molecule in your brain behind happiness, motivation, sort of that feeling of romance, love, joy, excitement. Um, it's called dopamine. You've probably heard about dopamine. Maybe you've listened to some podcasts on dopamine, right? Um, it is... There's a book um, Daniel Lieberman wrote. It's, he's a um, psychologist, a scientist, a doctor, and it's called The Molecule of More. And what dopamine is, is it's, it's the sort of the happiness molecule in the mind. It's the motivation molecule in the brain. It's when you're pursuing something, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a dream, a goal. Dopamine deals with what's not here right now, but what could be in the future. Your ideas and dreams and happiness is connected to, wow, it's going to be better if I just get that house or that car or that person or that outfit or fill in the blank, right? And you get this rush thinking about what that could be. And that's what you feel in the honeymoon season of your relationships. In the early days of dating, uh, Daniel Lieberman, he goes, it's like you're in a dopamine dream, and it completely blinds you to reality. <laughs> it goes, oh, you, you're just caught up in the rush, the moment, the feeling of this new relationship. And what happens is this. You look at that person in the early days, and you're dreaming about your future together. You're looking deep into one another's eyes on the third date. 
and you're imagining all the ways in your mind how this person is going to fulfill my every need and desire. All my happy, they're going to make all the, the, the choices that I want them to make in, you know, their life for me. Really, it's a, it's a fantasy idea of who that person is. It's not based on an actual human with flaws and brokenness and quirks and habits and all the things just like we have, all of us have. Friends, I, there was so much to say around this, but one of the things that he wrote in the book, he said, biologically, think about this, chemically in your brain, falling in love and staying in love are two vastly different realities. Falling in love and staying in love are two vastly different realities. Staying in love is like learning a new skill. He goes, there's a lot of different molecules in your brain that can cause happiness, the feeling of happiness and joy and contentment. He goes, dopamine causes that early rush, but he goes, there's something called the H&N molecules, the here and now molecules, which are things like serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins. And he goes, you have to learn in your marriage, in your relationships to transition from the honeymoon phase of what this thing could be to actually embracing the here and now, accepting it, being present, living in the moment, and learning to enjoy the actual human you're married to. Come on, somebody. Learning how to enter into the moment. You know, you wonder why we're all so distracted and escaping life all the time, right? We haven't learned how to experience and enjoy the present moment, the here and now. And friends, God designed you. He made your brain. He designed all of your physiology. And there is a long-term reality where you have to learn this new skill of shifting from what could be and what I hoped this person would be to the actual reality of being in love with a human that you're learning and growing together with. Um, I'll just say this one last thing and then Go for it. I'll give it to you because... This was so fascinating to me. So Mick Jagger, okay, they, uh, they, they used in this book just a quick illustration about Mick Jagger. Um, when he first sang, I Can't Get No Satisfaction in 1965, he was interviewed uh, by Rolling Stone magazine after that song came out, hit number one, topped all the charts. And he told the interviewee, he goes, you know, up to this point in my life, I'm guessing, at some point in this interview, he goes, I'm guessing I've been with about 4,000 women. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Um, <laughs> now, he was talking about it because this song actually came out of this place of, I can't get no satisfaction. I'm, I'm still trying to find love. I'm still trying to find that thing, you know, and what Mick was running on was the dopamine rush of the possibility, and then when it actually turned into maybe a relationship or something more than a one-night stand, he was out. He had no idea how to actually enter into re relationship with another person, and so what note, what Mick did not follow up with was, well, at 4,001, I finally found satisfaction. I'm done. No, he just, 
kept rolling and never understood, hey, you're, you're actually running after things that aren't ultimately going to satisfy and fill the deepest needs in your heart. That's right. Crazy. That's a crazy story. Um, no, I, I, there's a famous uh, chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure mo- many of you are familiar with that. It's almost read at every single wedding you've probably ever gone to. It's a famous love chapter. It talks about what love is and what love is not. And it says that love is patient and kind. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and that love never ends. But I think it's interesting that Paul puts in there right next to what love is, he puts in there what love is not. And I think so oftentimes we're attracted to the what love is not. And that's why there's so much unhealth in in conflict in our relationships. It says love is not arrogant or boastful. It does not envy. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. How many times, friends, do we get in fights with our spouse and then they end up being wrong and we're like, yes, I won. Like, I was right, right? You like rejoice in the fact that they got it wrong. Whereas Paul is saying, hey, that is not what love looks like. And love looks like all these certain things, but love looks not like these other things. And I thought it was interesting that Paul puts all these um, all these situations in 1 Corinthians 13 because he says this is not how love should act, but it does happen in the context of our loving relationships. So oftentimes we are arrogant. So oftentimes we are prideful. So oftentimes we do rejoice in the wrong of our spouse or our partner. Sometimes we are rude. We do insist on our own way and it ends up causing conflict in our relationships. And that conflict can be super uncomfortable. But I also want to remind us today that the reason Paul puts it in there is because he also wants to remind us that it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for us to experience those emotions. We are broken sinners in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. We have turned away from God in our flesh and we need to be realigned by his spirit and be realigned by his word and through prayer. He needs to transform us from the inside out. And so I just wanna remind us this morning that God does not, um, he's not surprised by our conflict. He actually uses the conflict in our relationships to make us holy. Yes, it might not make us happy, but it refines us. It does something in us. It chips away at the pride. The conflict chips away at the arrogance. It chips away um, at our rudeness. And it reminds us that, hey, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And both of us have to go to Jesus for that. We cannot change or fix the other person. I cannot make him less rude or less arrogant or less prideful. I have to pray for him daily like every day, and I have to give him to the Lord every day, and I have to say, Jesus, create in him the man that you have asked him to be in you, in your son, and so I think it's so interesting that God uses conflict to reveal and refine our souls within the context of a safe covenant relationship. That's the beauty of marriage. It's a safe place for us to work out our shortcomings, for us to work out the the jagged places of our hearts, for God to smooth them and make them right and make them healed and make us whole. So good. Yeah, we're just working this out up here in front of all y'all. So, uh, 
You know, I think it's so important, though, because Paul says Christ, or husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. And um, guys, men in the room, it is going to feel like dying. A cross is not comfortable, I promise, right? And there are expectations when you enter marriage that are not going to be met, and it's like, oh, it's a cross that I've got to carry. And the same with the wife. There are expectations that she had entering into marriage, you know, pillow talk and deep emotional connection every single night, and I'm just out the moment we start to talk about it. And it's like, I'm, I'm trying to care with everything in me. I just can't care. And, you know, we have to grow in these ways. We have to learn in these ways. And I think about this because, man, that's love. That's real love. It's, so, it's sacrificing. It's going low. It's, going, it's, it's sticking it out through these different seasons that you find yourself in until the new season comes. It's taking radical ownership of your own journey, your own life. And we want to close with this, Ephesians 5, towards the end. Uh, we want to talk about just quickly the mystery of marriage. As the scriptures say, Ephesians 5, 31, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And that's not just talking about physical union, that's talking about your whole life, united into one. And Paul goes, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So love and respect are so important, so important in the context of marriage and relationship. But marriage is a mystery. There is no formula. Every relationship is different. Every marriage is different. God designed marriage between man and woman to be the context by which the grace of God is displayed to the whole world. The sacrificial love that we display for one another, the things that we work through together in our marriages are actually gonna send a message to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors that there's something more going on here. People throw in the towel for far less. These people have been through so much. Your marriage becomes a witness to the world as you begin to walk this out and no one does it perfectly. Yes, it feels like, dying. <laughs> but through it all, you actually, and I deeply believe this, you find and you discover a depth of love, meaning, fulfillment, enjoyment that you never thought possible if both people begin to take this journey together. There are days coming, friends, and I just want to speak this over your marriages today, where right now you may think, this has been bad for a really long time and I'm just done. And you can't change the other person. They can't change you. Start with yourself. Start by asking the Lord, what drawers do I need to work on in my kitchen right now? Where do I need to get help? And as you just begin to walk out God's will, and I understand, friends, we're not, we're not advocating for staying in addictive, broken, abusive situations but we are saying that 
for many, many, the vast majority of us, man, there can be such a blessing on the other side if you will lean in and work through and there will be an enjoyment and a happiness and a depth of love that you may have never thought possible right now. Friends, when we have this view of marriage, when we take marriage from the culture and we define it through the scripture, when we let this word, let the word of God, let the, the work of the Holy Spirit do something in our lives, when we turn to Jesus, when we lean on him, the impossibilities become possible. God can do imaginably more than what we ask or imagine in our marriages. And I know so many times that phrase, just stick it out, sounds so negative. But friends, there is a beauty in sticking with someone. There's a beauty in saying, I am for your good. I am for your healing. I am for your future. I'm going to stick with you through the good, through the bad, through sickness, through help. I'm gonna stick with you when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it was gonna be. I'm gonna stick, out, stick it out when I didn't turn out the way I thought I was gonna be in this marriage. And so oftentimes when we can go to the Lord, when we can go to the scriptures, when we, get, we, when we can come to um, a re-engaged marriage group or our marriage small groups that we have here at the church and we can just get real and get vulnerable and be honest about where we're at, that is when we open up space for the Holy Spirit to do the work that we never thought was possible. I know so many of you have been trying to hold on. This was just something I felt this morning as I was praying for us this morning. I felt that so many of us have been trying to hold on to our marriages and keep them together in our own strength. And I believe this morning that Jesus is giving you an invitation to hand your marriage over to Him. You know, Pastor Chad preached a message a couple weeks ago, I love you for trying. So many of us have been trying so hard for so long to keep it together. But there's an invitation from Jesus this morning to just surrender that marriage into His hands and say, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna look to you. I'm not gonna rely on my own strength and my own performance or my own creativity in this marriage. I am going to look to your word and look to your ways. And I'm gonna ask you to redefine our marriage and make it whole again. We wanna pray for marriages this morning. We wanna pray yeah. for you this morning. And so um, if you're in the room, you're married, uh, we just wanna pray for you. And whether you're here with your spouse or not, um, if you're comfortable, just raise your hand because we all need prayer if we're married. And I just wanna invite all the married couples to raise their hands in the room. And we just wanna pray for you. And we wanna pray for the marriages in this room, whether you're in a good season or a tough season. And so Lord, right now, I just lift up every marriage in this room, Lord, those that are on the mountaintop, feel like things are going amazing. Those who are in the valley and in a dark season that feel like they can't imagine going another week, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, for healing, for wholeness, Lord, for the right resources, the right people, the right 
timing. Lord, I pray uh, just for radical personal responsibility and ownership, Lord, on both sides that, Lord, every marriage can grow stronger and become a picture of the gospel to the world. And Lord, we pray for protection over marriages, over families right now in Jesus' name. We pray the blood of Christ to protect the marriages in this church, in this community, and we ask for protection against the schemes of the enemy that would seek to divide. Holy Spirit, right now, just begin your healing work in this room. Friends, we're gonna close as we always do with communion. And I encourage you, if you're in the room with your spouse today, um, to take communion together. This is a picture of what Christ has done for you. Represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for you on the cross, his body that was broken for you on the cross. Isaiah says, by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. And that includes our marriages, ourselves. So my prayer for you as you remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that you would invite his healing into your relationships and into your life and invite his strength into you to be able to lay down your life for your spouse in the way that Christ laid down his life for you. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.